0: This is The Guardian. There are millions of people around the world diagnosed with debilitating neurological and psychiatric disorders such as epilepsy and schizophrenia. But modern science is still getting to grips with what actually happens in the brains of these patients. This month, groundbreaking research was published that aims to change that. A breakthrough by researchers at Stanford could provide a new way to study the living human brain, but not necessarily while it's in the human body. The work is just the latest in the ethically complex field of brain organoids, where scientists grow tiny balls of human brain cells in the laboratory. The researchers from Stanford were able to implant their organoids into the brains of baby rats. There are potentially huge benefits to this controversial research, but even so, how do scientists and how does society decide where to draw the line? I'm Ian Sample, the Guardian Science Editor, and this is Science Weekly. Back in 2018, my colleague Hannah Devlin did an episode of Science Weekly looking at organoids. That was a while ago. Julian Savalescu, you're a bioethicist at the University of Oxford. Remind us, what exactly is an organoid? An organoid is a mini replica of
1: a normal human organ, and it's produced using stem cell technology. So you take an adult cell, such as a skin cell, and you you apply various chemicals to go back to almost an embryonic stage, and then you push it along into the kind of tissue that you want So, for example, you can create small mini kidneys, liver tissue, or indeed brain tissue. And and brain organoids have been developed, sometimes called mini brains, in a dish. And they represent sort of the early stages of human brain development in an embryo. And why do researchers want to make these things? To study, for example, brain development, but also study human diseases. So you can take a, a skin cell from somebody with a brain disease and... Push it backwards into neurons or nerve tissue in a dish and allow that to develop and see what's going wrong with the brain. And after a stroke or traumatic brain injury, the brain is not able to replace itself. And if we can understand how these organoids can be integrated into the brain, it's possible that you could take the skin cell from somebody who's had a stroke and create a brain organoid, and then transplant that back to correct the damaged area. Now that hasn't been done so far. And I think this research may be one step towards that. And that's a very exciting and promising prospect.
0: So this kind of work isn't new. But as far as I remember, there were previously issues with the neurons not maturing, because the organoids didn't hook up to a blood supply, they didn't vascularize. But researchers have now overcome that hurdle. How is that? A couple of years ago,
1: scientists decided to insert these mini-human brains into adult mice. The mini-brains connected with the mouse brain and were vascularized by it and, you know, weren't stunted as the ones in a dish were. Um, And indeed, the most exciting development released in the last week or so, um, scientists took these human brain organoids and introduced them into brains of baby rats that are still developing and there they were able to not only connect with the brain of the developing rat and be vascularised by it, but also were able to control behaviour to connect with neurons elsewhere in the brain and, and be fully integrated and in, indeed contribute to behaviour.
0: I want to go through a little bit around the integration of these human neurons into the rat brain sort of neural circuitry, if you like, and how those neurons then came to be involved in influencing the behaviour of the rats.
1: In the brain, you have areas that receive sensory signals in and then those signals affect motor areas so that you behave in response to stimuli. And so what they did was they genetically altered this area of the brain that contained the organoid so that it could be switched on with light. And then they were able to train the rats to associate the light flashing with um, a water reward. So they were responding to the information coming in to the um, brain organoid to sort
0: of drive behaviour in the same way as, as a normal stimulus would so we know from those results in that paper that these human neurons, they are playing a part of the processing that's going on inside the rat brain. How integrated they are and whether they can be seen as as one with the, the sort of rat brain, I don't know, though. What, what's your thinking? There were tests
1: of the cognitive function of these rats to see whether they were smarter than average rats, and they weren't. They were no more intelligent at solving maze puzzles than ordinary rats. But they clearly were integrated in the way that rat neurons in that area would be integrated and function. If you replaced larger areas of the brain or different key strategic parts of the brain, it remains to be seen how much and and what the effects of that would be. In this experiment, only about a sixth of the brain was replaced with human organoid material. Now, of course, you could replace more and it remains to be seen what the effects of that would be.
0: This brings us, I think, squarely onto the ethics now, but also for the future of this field. And I'm interested in how you as someone active in this field would even start to sort of draw the lines of where ethical issues arise. I mean, I don't know whether simply implanting human neurons into an animal is ethically difficult or whether it is if those human neurons adopt a particular type of organisation or structure or if it's whereabouts in the animal brain they go. How do you even frame all this? How do you construct constraints around it, if you like?
1: Well, from an ethical perspective, what matters is function. For example, there was a huge movement around animal liberation when we realised that animals experience pain in the same way as us. Now, we can often infer function by looking at structure. So we can say the animal has a nervous system You know, there are pain fibres going into an area of the brain that is similar to ours. We can expect them to experience pain. I think the problem here is we can't look at the percentage of the brain or even necessarily where in the brain the human neurons are contributing. We have to look at what the functional capacities of the new entity that we create are and respect a moral status according to that. If the being is conscious... And can experience pain it, it has certain rights
0: and is there a thinking that by putting human neurons into the brain of another animal that that animal might acquire a different kind of consciousness that's sort of more towards that of a human i mean i'm aware these words they just don't seem really adequate or nuanced enough to describe the situation uh, that, that we've seen at least in this rat work but What is the thinking around this and how should our listeners really weigh it up?
1: I think these are ordinary rats with some human tissue in them, but I don't think it's affected their functional status, though, you know, I'm open to sort of evidence to the contrary. And I think it's difficult to say with rat work exactly how far you could change the function. But certainly in, in primates, in chimpanzees, if you replace substantial areas of the brain, It's very possible that you could create something that has a brain that is much closer to a human than a chimpanzee. Now, the researchers were very clear to distance themselves from primate work, but the primate work will be difficult to resist because, of course, human diseases are much better understood in primates than they are in rats. So I think there will be pressure to extend this, and that will raise very difficult ethical questions. We are in kind of uncharted territory And I think central to that uncharted territory is the moral status of the beings that we're creating.
0: What's the current state of regulation around this kind of work where you're dropping human neural tissue organoids into the brains of other animals?
1: The problem with legislation is it's formed at one point in time and then science evolves very quickly and then the legislation loses its grip. There's a lot of restrictions and regulation around, for example, embryos and how long you can allow embryos to develop. But there is no legislation around brain organoids that limits their development. There isn't any legislation that considers the organoid as a potentially conscious entity. So there are a lot of questions that aren't addressed by the legislation. And I don't think we'll ever be able to. I think that's why we need a much more flexible regulatory apparatus where we can deal with the technology that's in front of us and the risks and benefits of that rather than trying to create very blunt legislation.
0: The latest work that we've been discussing, this rat brain organoid work from Stanford, the researchers were really hoping to Use that to develop sort of better models for human neurodevelopmental disorders, problems with how the neurons were growing in the brain throughout early life and so on. I'm wondering if you think these models will actually be sort of effective and given the kind of ethical questions around them, whether you see them as justified.
1: Yeah, look, science is like a horse race. Um, You know, you have a bunch of horses that start and the finish line is life-saving interventions. You can have one horse a long way in front in the middle of the race. But what matters is the horse that crosses the line. You don't want to be scratching horses halfway through the race. And at this point, we're nowhere near winning the race against neurological disease. And I think we just have to let all the horses run. And I think, you know, this is an important strand of research. I don't know whether it will lead to beneficial interventions, but it's certainly very promising. And I think you can do it in a way, that is ethically sensitive.
0: Just to wrap up, Julian, I just wonder whether you think that scientists and ethicists and others working together can actually identify lines of real ethical concern prior to running over them, i.e. do you think we'll find the lines of what is ethically acceptable only after crossing them?
1: Well, not necessarily, but you know, people have this very romantic vision of ethics, that there's a happy ending and there's a silver bullet and there's a, you know everyone lives happily ever after. And the reality is ethics isn't precise and, and we will make mistakes. When the prizes are so enormous in science now, this research will be done somewhere in the world and perhaps in appalling conditions. And so it's our responsibility to conduct it as ethically as possible and lead um, so that we can pursue the possible scientific gains, but in the right way.
0: Julian, huge thanks for coming on and explaining all of this. It's it's a fast-moving field. I suspect we may need to get you on (laughs) in not too long a time to take us through the latest updates.
1: No problem. My pleasure.
0: Thanks again to Julian Savalescu. You can find my piece on the research at theguardian.com. And just to remind you that Grace Dent is back with a fourth helping of the Comfort Eating podcast. This time, her guests include Graham Norton, Mallory Blackman and Dorno Porter, chatting about the foods they go to for a bit of comfort. The first two episodes are out now, so search for Comfort Eating wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. That's it this week. The producer was Ned Carter-Miles. The sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. And the executive producer was Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian.